Spirit Catholic Radio, KVSS. Good morning. Welcome to Spirit Mornings with Bruce McGregor and... Chris McGregor. And back with us now after the break, we have Mike Aquilina. And Mike, we've been going through uh, the expanded edition of the Fathers of the Church. And as we said before the break, Mr. Peabody has set the Wayback Machine to the second century here. And uh, we're going to focus on St. Clement of Alexandria. Yes, we will. And he's, uh, he's an important figure, so it's, uh, it's, it's, it's good to get to him. And a very winsome figure, too. Well, I just have to mention once again why I think it's important that people get the expanded edition of the Fathers of the Church, because not only all the footnotes and all the reference material that you can use, but I really appreciate that you have all the isms defined for us. (laughs) (laughs) Isms, schisms. Yeah, because, well, today's, for St. Clement of Alexandria, I mean, he had a battle, one of the bigger isms of all time, and that's Gnosticism. Yes, he did. He he lived he lived in one of the hotbeds of Gnosticism, which was which was Alexandria. You know, it's important for us to imagine where he was. He was living in the the intellectual capital of of the empire, Alexandria in Egypt. And Alexandria was like Cambridge would be in the United States. Yeah. You know, with with Harvard and MIT there. Well, there were the equivalents of Harvard and MIT in Alexandria. It was the great center of engineering and research and development and technology at that time. And also, it was the great center of literary study because it had the best library by far in the world. So this was an amazing place to live. It was, uh, it was a place of a lot of discussion. There were always debates going on, a uh, very high level of, of um, commerce, too. So it was a very, very prosperous city. So, you know, you could just imagine the vitality of a place like that and what it was like to live as a Christian in that place because, because a lot of intellectuals were converting to Christianity, but also you had a lot of the same kind of problems that you always have where you have some people who get funny ideas about Christianity and they start to preach a different sort of uh, faith based on, uh, on their speculation about Christianity. So Clement was a philosopher. He was a deep thinker. He was a very cultured man, erudite, and, uh, and he had traveled all over the place. He was a great seeker, converted late in life. He really embodied the best spirit of Alexandria in his inquisitiveness and in his great intellect and in his, his, uh, his desire for engagement, because he was very open to all the things of the world, really, all of these great ideas that were bouncing around. And he really is a model, I think, of what Christians should be in the world today. Right. Now, his approach to dealing with, I don't want to say argumentation, but in, in his discussions, was different than, say, another, like Tertullian. <laughs> Absolutely. You can place them at opposite ends of the spectrum, because because Tertullian had, had a, a kind of, he was, Tertullian himself was a great intellectual, mm-hmm. but he had an anti-intellectual attitude and very much wanted to just wipe away everything that had to do with paganism and start over. You know, his famous statement is, what has Athens to do with Jerusalem? Mm-hmm. In other words, what, does, what do Plato and Aristotle and all those guys have to do with, with the scriptures? Well, you know, he'd say, nothing, do away with them, start over. And, and Tertullian, again, was a convert to the Christian faith and a great intellectual and a great lawyer, a great legal thinker, but he, he just saw no use for all that. He wanted to put it behind him. Clement, on the other hand, you know, has this... Um, we can project onto Clement uh, the statement of later theology. His approach was that grace builds on nature. Take one of his, his predecessors, Justin. Justin had said, everything good is ours. 
So Justin tried to argue that Plato was really a kind of pre-Christian Christian, because all of his good ideas really belong to us. Mm-hmm. Everything good is ours. And so Clement felt free to range in the great poets, and he knew Homer very well. He knew a lot of the ancient dramatists. As a matter of fact, some of the great works of literature never didn't survive the ages, have only survived in the works of Clement, wow. because he quoted them. And this is the, these are the works of pagan literature. Right. He felt free to range in those pastures, and, uh, and he would bring up all of, all of the, the philosophers and the, the, the dramatists of ancient Greece, and he would, he would build his arguments, and they were very winsome arguments for Christianity, um, based you know, on the fact that Christianity fulfills all these desires and all of the reason that we see in Coate in the poets and the dramatists and the philosophers of ancient Greece. As you point out too, Mike, in terms of being on the opposite end of the spectrum with Tertullian, uh, Clement wrote, uh, Greek philosophy purifies the soul. Yes, yes, and uh, and he saw that as it could be an important part of the process of becoming a Christian. Clement was uh, a teacher. We think he was probably kind of on the payroll of the Alexandrian Church. That's a, that's a crass way of putting it. Mm-hmm. But, but he was probably deputized by the, the, the Bishop of Alexandria to teach people about Christianity and then to teach Christians in their ongoing education. What's beautiful about what we see in Clement is that it was obviously addressed to adult Christians, and it was part of their ongoing faith formation. So we could see that there was a population living in Alexandria at that time, a time of on-and-off persecution, Mm -hmm. who were willing to engage their faith at a deep level, a theological level, and yet these weren't theologians. He was addressing just ordinary married couples. He He was addressing both men and women, and he was addressing very ordinary merchants and thinkers and teachers and all kinds of people. And this really should be a model for us of what life should be today, you know? Our, our mystagogy, our, our, our training in the faith doesn't end when we get confirmed or when we do marriage prep. It should be ongoing all our lives, and, and we should have that hunger that they must have felt, all those people sitting in, in those classes of Clement of Alexandria, sitting before a master teacher, because he was taking them pretty deep into the mysteries of the faith. Right. What I love about him and how you describe him, Mike, is that he's the kind of person that takes what you have already through your life experience have come to understand, and he points you towards how that's broken open and taken further in the, the light of Christ. Yes, yeah, and, he, and nothing, no, none of that experience was off limits to him. As a matter of fact, he dealt so frankly with the, the bodily love between men and women in marriage that in the 19th century, the Victorian translators chose not to translate him into English, but into Latin. Uh-oh. <laughs> so, so they were assured that only, only people who were reading Latin were reading Clement's sections that dealt with sexual morality. Those Victorians. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, he really was anticipating the theology of the body yeah. by 18 centuries. He was working this out at the time, and it really is Catholic teaching on sexual morality beautifully set out 18 centuries ago, and it, and it speaks just as eloquently to audiences today if they take it up and read it. Mm-hmm. Which, once again, demonstrates the power of the teaching magisterium of the Church, that consistency. That's right, right. Not, not only the power, but the protection of the Holy Spirit, because mm. there were plenty of opportunities over 18 centuries 
for for them to choose to mutate doctrine if they wanted to just go on go on their human resources but really we have been protected and preserved by the holy spirit through all that time and clement is a great witness to that for us do we know whatever happened to him well you know it's kind of shadowy there arose a great persecution in in the course of his lifetime uh in, in egypt and he had to flee and we know that he fled Alexandria, but we're not quite sure where he went from there. There are a couple of different theories, and um, he seems to have died shortly after that. And the, the tradition is that he died a martyr. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but again, that's not a that's not a certain tradition. But it's it's likely given the times and given his prominence that and uh, and really given the fact that he wasn't hiding anything. He was a public Christian of some prominence, and he would make an excellent example for the Roman authorities. So it's it's quite likely that he died the martyr. Wow. But he, he was held in reverence wherever he went. Um, we, we know that he did visit some friends after he left Alexandria, and his friends wrote about him afterwards. But they didn't write about his death. Uh, one mentioned the fact of his death, but didn't give the circumstances. So it's mysterious. Yeah. But, uh, but he was venerated, and, uh, and he was referred to as... Saint Clement of Alexandria. So even though we don't see him on the calendar today, um, it, it is it is a safe thing to venerate him as a saint. Yeah, he is an extraordinary example of someone who has so much to teach us today, continues right. to teach us today. And, you know, I have to say, uh, for anybody who could visit fathersofthechurch.com, I think that blog and the links that you provide is such a valuable resource because not only in the book, The Fathers of the Church, do you give us just a, a, a taste. I mean, you, you make us want to go and explore more and to learn more, and then you provide us links to be able to do that. I mean, it's such a gift that you give us, Mike. Well, thank you. And there are, there are a lot of other people who, are, who I'm happy are not always blogging on the Fathers, but producing new translations of the Fathers and putting them up on the web. So you can, you can really kind of surf around and find all of these beautiful works by, by Clement of Alexandria, among others, and, um, and really go deeper. You know, Clement has so much to teach us because of the way he approached these things. You know, sometimes we do have to be like Tertullian and, and scream and shout against the injustices we see going on and, and, and call a horror a horror. Mm-hmm. But, you know, many other times we have to look at our neighbors around us and find out what are their longings, what are their deepest longings, and, and really try to, try to, you know, latch on to those mm-hmm. uh, and take them from there to where they need to be. Clement was even willing to read the Gnostics, which is a tiresome chore. He was willing to read the Gnostics and look at their terminology and, and, and say, you know, all of those things that you want, you're not going to find going down that heretical path, but you will find true knowledge true knowledge of the mysteries only in the Church of Jesus Christ, the Catholic Church, and you will find it only through the sacraments. So he, he really was able to engage people in a winsome way and uh, to meet them where they are and to, um, and to love them, because all of the things that he did could not have come about unless they were coming about through genuine charity, genuine compassion for the other. Well, I have to say, he reminds me, uh, just parts of him reminds me of one of my modern-day heroes, and that's Pope Benedict XVI. Oh, yeah. And his ability to be able to, I mean, because he's a, very much a philosopher as well. I mean, you just right, read his right. writings, and it, it's tremendous, but yet 
you know, still having to say the truth, but to say it with love. Right, right. To, to find, find a way to say it so that people will hear it. And, and some people just won't listen to you no matter what. Yeah. But other people will, will take up what you say and, and look at it, and they'll respond. And then you have a conversation going. And we've seen this with Pope Benedict in his dialogue with Islam. There was a violent reaction at first. Mm-hmm. But after that, there was a considered reaction of a number of scholars, a considered response, I should say, of a number of scholars from around the world who took what he said and then gave it a response. And they're, they're seriously considering the things that he said. It's an interesting time in the life of the Church, but I think learning through the lives of the Fathers, it gives us a new lens to look through what's happening today. Absolutely. And so many of the Fathers are, are watching over it because so many of them, like Clement of Alexandria, you know, we're talking about today, mm-hmm. Clement lived in a place that is today dominated by Islam. So I, I believe that these men are interceding for the Holy Father as he goes about this. This is a special concern of theirs as they intercede before the throne in heaven. Oh, wonderfully said. Well, Mike, uh, thanks so much for that. We're going to shift a gear here real quick. And oh, you shocked me with the music, Bruce. Yes. We need to, we need to talk Roma. That just blasted in my headphones, Bruce McGregor. <laughs> she has the greatest moral reflexes, Mike. That's because you just totally shocked me again. I, I love to ambush her. She's fun. Well, I'm always willing to talk about Rome because I cannot wait to go. Oh, we've had so many listeners call and find out information, and they're all, you know, they're counting their pennies, they're working it all out, and I know people have stepped up and they've placed their deposits, and they are so excited, but not well, as excited as me. A lot of them are searching the web because I'm getting all these hits on my website of people searching KVSS Rome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And unless there's a radio station called KVSS in Rome, I think they're looking for for our trip, and they're looking to join us. So I'm looking forward to meeting all these web crawlers out there. Oh, I I just think it's going to be such a a wonderful opportunity. And again, I can't say it. The weather is going to be absolutely fantastic. (laughs) The weather and the food. I've said it before. I've never had a bad meal in Rome. And, of course, we'll be walking in the footsteps of all the fathers of the church. Not all the fathers of the church, but many of the fathers of the church, the martyrs, and the popes, and, and so many of the people we've been talking about on these radio shows. You know, we were watching a, a program on a e recently that was talking about, that it was called The Vatican Revealed, and it looked at the history of Rome and, and, and how the Vatican was built up and all the different levels. And it was absolutely fascinating, except for the last 10 minutes where they started bashing the Yeah, the usual. Yeah, the usual. But, but the historical part was just, you know, the just the different layers and all the different communities that came forth and are still there and i mean i didn't appreciate the sheer size of uh saint peter's oh yes and it's one church built on another church but built on another church and it's all built up over over an even older cemetery so um so so you know you'll be able to see those levels as you tour the church and you go underneath the church we'll go underneath and we'll visit the tombs of the ancient popes the tomb of saint peter of course which is Mm-hmm. The highlight, and uh, the tomb of Pope John Paul II, which is which is uh, a great pilgrimage spot for so many people. Yeah. Um, so, so all of these things, and of course the tomb of Saint Paul. We'll visit the you know mm. where, where Saint Ignatius of Antioch was martyred, and 
and so many of these great saints from the very first generation of the Church. Yeah. I found it fascinating, and just real quick on that uh, program on A&E that Chris was referencing, that they said that through all the building and destruction and everything else, ultimately the discovery of Peter's bones and everything, they said if you put a plumb line from the top part of the dome in the cathedral and ran it all the way down to the bottom, it would be right dead center over uh, the bones of St. Peter. You know, it really is a testimony to oral tradition and the importance of tradition in the Catholic faith and what's passed on, because nobody left any architectural plans around, or there were no surveying crews that said, Peter's bones are right here, but they were. They were plumb-lined down, as you say. If you go from the dome right through the altar, straight down, and that really was what drove their instinct to dig there. Oh, and to even know that those are the bones of Peter, I mean, I I found it interesting because not only is it marked all over that, you know, it says Peter Mm -hmm. in a number of different locations right above that, but when they went back and, of course, they did the dating of the bones and it would have placed them at, you know, the first century, but then the fact that there were no foot bones, I mean, that it was from the ankle down, there are no bones, Mm -hmm. which would be a testament to the tradition that Peter was hung upside down. And then cut down, right? Yep. Right. So and this it's is amazing, like, yeah. oh. and, and of course he, it, they found other bones there too, other people's bones, and right. and and it's likely that his his wife was martyred with him. Wow. So it really is this this beautiful testimony of of uh, of their their burial together. I can't wait to go. She's bouncing. <laughs> I am. I'm so excited. I could cry. <laughs> yeah, it's it's going to be a good time. I'm looking forward to it. All right. Well, Mike, we're looking forward to our next opportunity to converse with you about more fathers of the church and eventually getting to the mothers as well. <laughs> That's right. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Mike. We appreciate it. God bless. Thank you.